0: Chapter One of Moods by Louisa May Alcott. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Laura Riley. Moods by Louisa May Alcott. Chapter One In a Year. The room fronted the West but a black cloud, barred with red, robbed the hour of twilight's tranquil charm. Shadows haunted it, lurking in corners like spies, set there to watch the man who stood among them, mute and motionless, as if himself a shadow. His eye turned often to the window with a glance both vigilant and eager, yet saw nothing but a tropical luxuriance of foliage, scarcely stirred by the sultry air heavy with odors that seemed to oppress, not refresh. He listened with the same intentness, yet heard only the clamor of voices, the tramp of feet, the chime of bells, the varied turmoil of a city when night is defrauded of its peace by being turned to day. He watched and waited for something. Presently it came, a viewless visitant, welcomed by longing soul and body, as the man, with extended arms and parted lips, received the voiceless greeting of the breeze that came winging its way across the broad Atlantic, full of healthful cheer for a homesick heart. Far out he leaned, held back the thick-leaved boughs, already rustling with a grateful stir, chid the shrill bird beating its flame-colored breast against its prison bars, and drank deep draughts of the blessed wind that seemed to cool the fever of his blood and give him back the vigour he had lost. A sudden light shone out behind him, filling the room with a glow that left no shadow in it. But he did not see the change, nor hear the step that broke the hush, nor turn to meet the woman who stood waiting for a lover's welcome. An indefinable air of sumptuous life surrounded her, and made the brilliant room a fitting frame for the figure standing there with warm-hued muslins blowing in the wind a figure full of the affluent beauty of womanhood in its prime bearing unmistakable marks of the polished pupil of the world in the grace that flowed through every motion the art which taught each feature to play its part with the ease of second nature and made dress the foil to loveliness The face was delicate and dark as a fine bronze, a low forehead, set in shadowy waves of hair, eyes full of slumberous fire, and a passionate, yet haughty, mouth that seemed shaped alike for caresses and commands. A moment she watched the man before her, while over her countenance passed rapid variations of pride, resentment, and tenderness. Then, with a stealthy step, an assured smile, she went to him and touched his hand, saying, in a voice inured to that language which seems made for lover's lips, "'Only a month, betrothed, and yet so cold and gloomy, Adam!' With a slight recoil, a glance of soft detestation, veiled and yet visible, Warwick answered like a satiric echo, only a month betrothed and yet so fond and jealous otilla unchilled by the action undaunted by the look the white arm took him captive the beautiful face drew nearer and the persuasive voice asked wistfully was it of me you thought when you turned with that longing in your eye no was it of a fairer or a dearer friend than i yes The black brows contracted ominously, the mouth grew hard, the eyes glittered, the arm became a closer bond, the entreaty a command. Let me know the name, Adam. Self respect. She laughed low to herself, and the mobile features softened to their former tenderness as she looked up into that other face, so full of an accusing significance which she would not understand i have waited two long hours have you no kinder greeting love i have no truer one ottila if a man has done unwittingly a weak unwise or wicked act what should he do when he discovers it repent and mend his ways need i tell you that i have repented will you help me mend my ways confess dear sinner I will shrive you and grant absolution for the past, whatever it may be. How much would you do for love of me? Anything for you, Adam. Then give me back my liberty. He rose erect and stretched his hands to her with a gesture of entreaty, an expression of intense desire. Ottila fell back as if the forceful words and action swept her from him. THE SMILE DIED ON HER LIPS. A FOREBODING FEAR LOOKED OUT AT HER EYES, AND SHE ASKED INCREDULOUSLY, DO YOU MEAN IT? YES, NOW, ENTIRELY, AND FOREVER. IF HE HAD LIFTED HIS STRONG ARM AND STRUCK HER, IT WOULD NOT HAVE DAUNTED WITH SUCH PALE DISMAY. AN INSTANT SHE STOOD LIKE ONE WHO SAW A CHASM WIDENING BEFORE HER, WHICH SHE HAD NO POWER TO CROSS. Then, as if disappointment was a thing impossible and unknown, she seized the imploring hands in a grasp that turned them white with its passionate pressure, as she cried, "'No, I will not. I have waited for your love so long. I cannot give it up. You shall not take it from me.' But as if the words had made the deed irrevocable, Warwick put her away, "'speaking with the stern accent of one who fears a traitor in himself. "'I cannot take from you what you never had. "'Stand there and hear me. "'No, I will have no blandishments to keep me from my purpose, "'no soft words to silence the hard ones I mean to speak, "'no more illusions to hide us from each other and ourselves. "'Adam, you are cruel.' better seem cruel than be treacherous, better wound your pride now than your heart hereafter, when too late you discover that I married you without confidence, respect, or love. For once in your life you shall hear the truth as plain as words can make it. You shall see me at my best as at my worst. You shall know what I have learned to find in you, shall look back into the life behind us, forward into the life before us, and if there be any candor in you, I will wring from you an acknowledgment that you have led me into an unrighteous compact, unrighteous because you have deceived me in yourself, appealed to the baser, not the nobler instincts in me, and on such a foundation there can be no abiding happiness. Go on, I will hear you and conscious that she could not control the will, now thoroughly aroused, Otilla bent before it as if meekly ready to hear all things for love's sake. A disdainful smile passed over Warwick's face, as with an eye that fixed and held her own, he rapidly went on, never pausing to choose smooth phrases or softened facts, but seeming to find a relish in the utterance of bitter truths after the honeyed falsehood he had listened to so long. Yet through all the harshness glowed the courage of an upright soul, the fervor of a generous heart. I know little of such things, and care less, but I think few lovers pass through a scene such as this is to be, because few have known lives like ours, or one such as we." You are a woman stronger for good or ill than those around you. I, a man untamed by any law but that of my own. Strength is royal. We both possess it. As kings and queens drop their titles in their closets, let us drop all disguises and see each other as God sees us. This compact must be broken. Let me show you why. THREE MONTHS AGO I CAME HERE TO TAKE THE CHILL OF AN ARCTIC WINTER OUT OF BLOOD AND BRAIN. I HAVE DONE SO, AND AM THE WORSE FOR IT. IN MELTING FROST I HAVE KINDLED FIRE, A FIRE THAT WILL BURN ALL VIRTUE OUT OF ME UNLESS I QUENCH IT AT ONCE. I MEAN TO DO SO, BECAUSE I WILL NOT KEEP THE TEN COMMANDMENTS BEFORE MEN'S EYES AND BREAK THEM EVERY HOUR IN MY HEART. He paused a moment, as if hotter words rose to his lips than generosity would let him utter, and when he spoke again, there was more reproach than anger in his voice. Ottila, till I knew you, I loved no woman but my mother. I wooed no wife, bought no mistress, desired no friend, but led a life austere as any monk's, asking only freedom and my work. COULD YOU NOT LET ME KEEP MY INDEPENDENCE? WERE THERE NOT MEN ENOUGH WHO WOULD FIND NO DEGRADATION IN A SPIRITUAL SLAVERY LIKE THIS? WOULD NOTHING BUT MY SUBJECTION SATISFY YOUR UNCONQUERABLE APPETITE FOR POWER? DID I SEEK YOU, ADAM? YES. NOT OPENLY, I GRANT. YOUR ART WAS TOO FINE FOR THAT. YOU SHUNNED ME THAT I MIGHT SEEK YOU TO ASK WHY. In interviews that seemed to come by chance, you tried every wall a woman owns, and there are many. You wooed me as such as you alone can woo the hearts they know are hardest to be won. You made your society a refreshment in this climate of the passions. You hid your real self and feigned that for which I felt most honor. You entertained my beliefs with largest hospitality. Encouraged my ambitions with a sympathy so genial that I thought it genuine. Professed my scorn for Chamory, and seemed an earnest woman, eager to find the true, to do the right, a fit wife for any man who desired a helpmate, not a toy. It showed much strength of wit and will to conceive and execute the design. It proved your knowledge of the virtues. YOU COULD COUNTERFEIT SO WELL, ELSE I NEVER SHOULD HAVE BEEN WHERE I AM NOW. YOUR COMMENDATION IS DESERVED, THOUGH SO UNGENTLY GIVEN, ADAM. THERE WILL BE NO MORE OF IT. IF I AM UNGENTLE, IT IS BECAUSE I DESPISE DECEIT, AND YOU POSSESS A gall THAT HAS GIVEN ME MY FIRST TASTE OF SELF-CONTEMPT, AND THE DROUGHT IS BITTER. HEAR ME OUT for this reminiscence is my justification. You must listen to the one and accept the other. You seemed all this, but under the honest friendliness you showed lurked the purpose you have since avowed, to conquer most entirely the man who denied your right to rule by the supremacy of beauty or sex alone. You saw the unsuspected fascination that detained me here when my better self said, Go! You allured my eye with loveliness, my ear with music, piqued curiosity, pampered pride, and subdued will by flatteries subtly administered. Beginning afar off, you let all influences do their work till the moment came for the effective stroke. Then you made a crowning sacrifice of maiden modesty and owned you loved me. Shame burned red on Otilla's dark cheek, and ire flamed up in her eyes, as the untamable spirit of the woman answered against her will. "'It was not made in vain, for, rebellious as you are, it subdued you, and with your own weapon, the bare truth.' He had said truly, "'You shall see me at my best as at my worst.' She did." for putting pride underneath his feet he showed her a brave sincerity which she could admire but never imitate and in owning a defeat achieved a victory you think i shall deny this i do not but acknowledge to the uttermost that in spite of all resistance i was conquered by a woman if it affords you satisfaction to hear this to know that it is hard to say Harder still to feel, take the ungenerous delight. I give it to you as an alms. But remember that if I have failed, no less have you, for in that stormy heart of yours there is no sentiment more powerful than that you feel for me, and through it you will receive the retribution you have brought upon yourself. You were elated with success, and forgot too soon the character you had so well supported. You thought love blinded me, but there was no love, and during this month I have learned to know you as you are, a woman of strong passions and weak principles, hungry for power and intent on pleasure, accomplished in deceit and reckless in trampling on the nobler instincts of a gifted but neglected nature. Ottila, I have no faith in you, feel no respect for the passion you inspire, own no allegiance to the dominion you assert. You cannot throw it off, it is too late. It was a rash defiance, she saw that as it passed her lips, and would have given much to have recalled it. The stern gravity of Warwick's face flashed into stern indignation. His eyes shone like steel, but his voice dropped lower, and his hand closed like a vice, as he said, with the air of one who cannot conceal, but can control sudden wrath at a taunt to which past weakness gives a double sting. It is never too late. If the priest stood ready, and I had sworn to marry you within the hour, I would break the oath, and God would pardon it for no man has a right to embrace temptation and damn himself by a lifelong lie. You choose to make it a hard battle for me. You are neither an honest friend nor a generous foe. No matter, I have fallen into an ambuscade and must cut my way out as I can, and as I will, for there is enough of this devil's work in the world without our adding to it. You cannot escape with honor, Adam. I cannot remain with honor. Do not try me too hardly, Otilla. I am not patient, but I do desire to be just. I confess my weakness will let not satisfy you. Blazon your wrong as you esteem it. Ask sympathy of those who see not as I see. Reproach, defy, lament. I will bear it all will make any other sacrifice as an atonement, but I will hold fast mine integrity and obey a higher law than your world recognizes, both for your sake and my own. She watched him as he spoke, and to herself confessed a slavery more absolute than any he had known, for with a pang she felt that she had indeed fallen into the snare she spread for him, and in this man, who dared to own his weakness and her power, she had found a master. Was it too late to keep him? She knew that soft appeals were vain, tears like water on a rock, and with the skill that had subdued him once she endeavored to retrieve her blunder by an equanimity which had more effect than prayers or protestations. Warwick had read her well, had shown her herself stripped of all disguises and left her no defence but tardy candour. She had the wisdom to see this, the wit to use it, and restore the shadow of the power whose substance she had lost. Leaving her beauty to its silent work, she fixed on him eyes whose luster was quenched in unshed tears, and said with an earnest, humble voice, I, too, desire to be just. I will not reproach, defy, or lament, but leave my fate to you. I am all you say, yet in your judgment remember mercy, and believe that at twenty-five there is still hope for the noble but neglected nature, still time to repair the faults of birth, education, and orphanhood. You say I have a daring will, a love of conquest. Can I not will to overcome myself and do it? Can I not learn to be the woman I have seemed? Love has worked greater miracles. May it not work this? I have longed to be a truer creature than I am, have seen my wasted gifts, felt my capacity for better things, and looked for help from many sources, but never found it till you came." DO YOU WONDER THAT I TRIED TO MAKE IT MINE? ADAM, YOU ARE A SELF-ELECTED MISSIONARY TO THE WORLD'S AFFLICTED. YOU CAN LOOK BEYOND EXTERNAL POVERTY AND SEE THE INDIGENCE OF SOULS. I'M A PAUPER IN YOUR EYES. STRETCH OUT YOUR HAND AND SAVE ME FROM MYSELF. STRAIGHT THROUGH THE ONE VULNERABLE POINT IN THE MAN'S PRIDE WENT THIS APPEAL TO THE MAN'S pity indignation could not turn it aside contempt blunt its edge or wounded feeling lessen its force and yet it failed for in adam warwick justice was stronger than mercy reason than impulse head than heart experience was a teacher whom he trusted he had weighed this woman and found her wanting truth was not in her the patient endeavour The hard-won success, so possible to many, was hardly so to her, and a union between them could bring no lasting good to either. He knew this, had decided it in a calmer hour than the present, and by that decision he would now abide proof against all attacks from without or from within. More gently, but as inflexibly as before, he said, i do put out my hand and offer you the same bitter drought of self-contempt that proved a tonic to my own weak will i can help pity and forgive you heartily but i dare not marry you the tie that binds us is a passion of the senses not a love of the soul you lack the moral sentiment that makes all gifts and graces subservient to the virtues that render womanhood a thing to honor as well as love. I can relinquish youth, beauty, worldly advantages, but I must reverence above all others the woman whom I marry, and feel an affection that elevates me by quickening all that is noblest and manliest in me. With you I should either be a tyrant or a slave. I will be neither, but go solitary all my life Rather than rashly mortgage the freedom kept inviolate so long, or let the impulse of an hour mar the worth of coming years. Bent and broken by the unanswerable accusations of what seemed a conscience in human shape, Ottila had sunk down before him with an abandonment as native to her as the indomitable will which still refused to relinquish hope even in despair go she said i am not worthy of salvation yet it is hard very hard to lose the one motive strong enough to save me the one sincere affection of my life warwick had expected a tempestuous outbreak at his decision this entire submission touched him for in the last words of her brief lament he detected the accent of truth and longed to answer it he paused, searching for the just thing to be done. Otilla, with hidden face, watched while she wept, and waited hopefully for the relenting sign. In silence the two, a modern Samson and Delilah, waged the old war that has gone on ever since the strong locks were shorn and the temple fell, a war which fills the world with unmated pairs and the long train of evils arising from marriages made from impulse and not principle as usual the most generous was worsted the silence pleaded well for ottila and when warwick spoke it was to say impetuously you are right it is hard that when two err one alone should suffer i should have been wise enough to see the danger brave enough to fly from it i was not and I owe you some reparation for the pain my folly brings you. I offer you the best, because the hardest, sacrifice that I can make. You say love can work miracles, and that yours is the sincerest affection of your life. Prove it. In three months you conquered me. Can you conquer yourself in twelve? Try me. I will. Nature takes a year for her harvest, I give you the same for yours. If you will devote one half the energy and care to this work that you have devoted to that other, will earnestly endeavor to cherish all that is womanly and noble in yourself, and through desire for another's respect earn your own. I, too, will try to make myself a fitter mate for any woman, and keep our troth unbroken for a year. Can I do more? "'I dared not ask so much. "'I have not deserved it, but I will. "'Only love me, Adam, and let me save myself through you.' "'Flushed and trembling with delight, she rose, "'sure the trial was safely passed, "'but found that, for herself, a new one had begun. "'Warwick offered his hand. "'Farewell, then.' "'Going? "'Surely you will stay and help me through my long probation?' No, if your desire has any worth, you can work it out alone. We should be hindrances to one another, and the labor be ill done. Where will you go? Not far, Adam. Straight to the north. This luxurious life enervates me. The pestilence of slavery lurks in the air and infects me. I must build myself up anew, and find again the man I was. When must you go? Not soon. AT ONCE. I SHALL HEAR FROM YOU? NOT TILL I COME. BUT I SHALL NEED ENCOURAGEMENT, SHALL GROW HUNGRY FOR A WORD, A THOUGHT FROM YOU. A YEAR IS A VERY LONG TIME TO WAIT AND WORK ALONE. ELOQUENTLY SHE PLEADED WITH VOICE AND EYES AND TENDER LIPS, BUT WARWICK DID NOT YIELD. IF THE TEST BE TRIED AT ALL, IT MUST BE FAIRLY TRIED. WE MUST STAND ENTIRELY APART and see what saving virtue lies in self-denial and self-help you will forget me adam some woman with a calmer heart than mine will teach you to love as you desire to love and when my work is done it will be all in vain never in vain if it be well done for such labour is its own reward have no fear one such lesson will last a lifetime do your part heartily and I will keep my pledge until the year is out. And then, what then? If I see in you the progress both should desire, if this tie bears the test of time and absence, and we find any basis for an abiding union, then, Ottila, I will marry you. But if meanwhile that colder, calmer woman comes to you, what then? Then I will not marry you. "'Ah, your promise is a man's vow, made only to be broken. "'I have no faith in you.' "'I think you may have. "'There will be no time for more folly. "'I must repair the loss of many wasted days. "'Nay, not wasted, if I have learned this lesson well. "'Rest secure, it is impossible that I should love.' "'You believed that three months ago, and yet you are a lover now.' Otilla smiled an exultant smile, and Warwick acknowledged his proven fallibility by a haughty flush and a frank amendment. Let it stand, then, that if I love again, I am to wait in silence till the year is out and you absolve me from my pledge. Does that satisfy you? It must. But you will come, whatever changes may befall you. Promise me this. I promise it going so soon? Oh, wait a little. When a duty is to be done, do it at once. Delay is dangerous. Good night. Give me some remembrance of you. I have nothing, for you are not a generous lover. Generous indeed, Zotilla. I have given you a year's liberty, a dear gift from one who values it more than life. Now I add this. He drew her to him, kissed the red mouth, and looked down upon her with a glance that made his man's face as pitiful as any woman's, as he let her lean there, happy, in the hope given at such cost. For a moment, nothing stirred in the room but the soft whisper of the wind. For a moment, Warwick's austere life looked hard to him. Love seemed sweet, submission possible. FOR IN ALL THE WORLD THIS WAS THE ONLY WOMAN WHO CLUNG TO HIM, AND IT WAS BEAUTIFUL TO CHERISH AND BE CHERISHED AFTER YEARS OF SOLITUDE. A LONG SIGH OF DESIRE AND REGRET BROKE FROM HIM, AND AT THE SOUND A STEALTHY smile TOUCHED OTILLA'S LIPS AS SHE WHISPERED, WITH A VELVET CHEEK AGAINST HIS OWN, LOVE, WILL YOU STAY? I WILL NOT STAY and like one who cries out sharply within himself, "'Get thee behind me!' he broke away. "'Adam, come back to me! Come back!' He looked over his shoulder, saw the fair woman in the heart of the warm glow, heard her cry of love and longing, knew the life of luxurious ease that waited for him, but steadily went out into the night, only answering, "'In a year!' End of chapter one.